We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you, like Newcastle United, one of those who all you do is win every single day, no matter what? Well, if you want to win at running your own business, it's time to draft Shopify as your all-in-one commerce platform. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customise your online store to your brand, discover new customers and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is on your team every step of the way. It's how every minute new sellers around the world score their first sale with Shopify. And you can too. Shopify is the secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning ideas into the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Try out Shopify for free today and start selling anywhere. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash truefaith, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash truefaith to start selling online today. That's shopify.com slash truefaith. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Newcastle went down to Manchester City by three goals to two at St James's Park on Saturday evening. I'm Alex Havsai, Charlotte and Stephen Ord here to discuss what happened and why as Newcastle suffer yet another late soccer punch to take no points from a game that they probably should have considering the game was two all on the 90th minute. Uh, it was a very, very tough game, very good opposition, but we're all pretty gutted about it. This podcast is very kindly brought to you by Aspers Casino Newcastle, home of the £4 matchday pint, uh, available on all draft beers for all NUFC home and televised fixtures. It's midday until midnight, uh, over 18s only. Visit begamblerware.org, be drink aware. Uh, for details and T's and C's, visit aspersnewcastle.co.uk. We're on Patreon, of course, it's between three and eight pounds a month. Loads of uh, content and reaction to this defeat to Newcastle United in general, and we'll build up to a massive rest of the season, starting with Fulham in a couple of weeks' time in the FA Cup. Sai, Newcastle went down three two, but you're not too uh, you're not too down, are you, mate? Um, no, it was a it was a roller coaster of emotion, wasn't it? It was a pretty decent performance from us, albeit not for ninety minutes, but you know, um, pretty positive about how we played for the majority of the game. Um, we spent December just worrying about how bad things were going to get. And we kind of said that, look, January is a chance to reset, beat Sunderland. The two league games we have this month, we knew were going to be hard and we, we kind of weren't expecting much out of them. I was probably expecting a more humbling result against Man City. So the fact that we got another thriller, uh, which I think this time last year, uh, Pep Guardiola was describing that as one of the best games of football, you know, the Premier League's ever seen. And this was another great game of Premier League football between two very good sides. And we have to be... Pleased about the fact that we were part of that. We've matched another really good team. Um, probably should have hung on for something. Didn't. Um, and we'll get into that. But 
ultimately, I don't think this is the game to, to pick apart Newcastle performance. I thought that was much more positive. I thought the 11 players that started and basically finished the game because we had no subs did really well. I thought most of the lads had a good good game and we were just outdone by superior quality. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, again, that's, that's going to be the excuse of the day, but he comes off the bench and is instantly the best player on the pitch by some distance and change the game and we we just still and we've been saying this for months now we can't do that we can't affect the game off the bench so it became a case of hanging on on another day maybe we do but we didn't and um i i'm confident that that performance there beats a lot of the teams in this league you know if we played like that against Nottingham forest we would have won if we played like that at bear luton away we would have won if we play like that against Nottingham forest and luton and bournemouth in february we'll win those games so for me i'm quite happy to take the hit in terms of another defeat and and look forward positively Oh, oh, sorry. I'll um, I'll I'll follow on from uh, that. Just kind of say, as much as I agree, they're the best team in the world, and they've got players that are nowhere near. Like we would, we would love to have three or four of their lads off the bench in our squad. Um, and yes, we're probably going to say it a lot, but Kevin De Bruyne is absolutely brilliant. Um, my main concern actually is that it felt to me like we kind of did the second half the way we've done the second half in pretty much every big game. Uh, so far this season even Man U when we beat them here they had an 87th 88th minute goal disallowed like we are not in a position where we are defensively solid last season if we took a lead you didn't think we're going to lose it because we sat in and we made sure that our back four was fully protected this season we seem to get a lead and there seems to be every single chance even in the 94th of 95 minutes or whatever it might be that they will throw it away and I don't know what's rocked that confidence. It could just be mental and physical fatigue. But against Sunderland, they look back to their old selves. They were so confident on the ball. They were moving it around. It's a difficult game to then judge when you're playing like championship opposition to then the best team in Europe, probably the best team in the world. But we didn't challenge them. Like I felt we got that really good start first five minutes and then they were like, they woke up and were like, oh, all right, okay, we're actually going to have to work hard to beat these. The first goal goes in and pretty soon afterwards, Bernardo Silva should score and they should go 2-0 up. Dubravka makes a... I mean, it's right next to somebody tips it on the bar. He doesn't turn it over. Um, they should probably be 2-0 up. And my feeling at that point was that game could have gone away from us at that stage. We, our midfield, looked like it did not know who it was tracking at all. And we massively missed Joe Linton because Rodri ran that game from start to finish. Um, Bruno potentially should have been sent off for that. He'd always on a yellow and he seemed to stand on Rodri's foot. However... Like that, at that point to me, we lost the game because Rodri came back out second half and was like, right, I'm not having any of this. Mm. 45 minutes, we're keeping the ball there, not having any of it. And that was it. And we sat in and we desperately tried. The guy next to me said, I've seen this before. We can do this for 15 minutes. We can't do it for 45. And you're right. A player comes off the bench, scores the second, makes the third. But to be honest, it could have been it because we were scrambling at that point. I felt even when De Bruyne came on, they had started to create some big chances. So it's a real disappointment. It's another result that gets away from us because we were 2-1 in front and I think it was for 30 minutes of the second half, we were still 2-1 in front and then De Bruyne scores and it's like, we're holding on. Mm. And uh, and again, Isak and Gordon by 70 minutes had just run out of steam. Like They're, they're absolutely done in. And I don't, I don't know how long we can keep playing these players in the red zone or whatever it is before they get injured again. Um, and that's, that's a massive concern when apparently we can only do loan deals in the window. It's a it's a boon that we've got two week break now, so that those players can get a little bit of a rest and some um, training in as well. But yeah, I think it, you're right, Stephen. Like from from seventy minutes, just about at maybe every fifteen seconds, I was looking up at the clock and I was just like, you, you just you just know. Like even though I felt that there were lots of positives to take from yesterday, and I thought it was a really good performance in good chunks, especially compared to where we were in December and the and the sort of lacklustre performances we saw then. For me, we had reasons, but um, they were still shit performances in lots of ways. Um, but like from that 70 minutes, you just knew what was going to happen. You just knew or you knew what very much could happen, especially against a team like City. I'm, I'm also with you, Sai, that it's a team like City. You can't, you can't live and die by, by this game. And... I am going to choose to contextualize it like that and think, well, it could have been a lot worse. And it really could have. Dubravka had a good game, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit later. But um could have been a lot worse. There were there were hints of the old Newcastle. I thought we woke up after they scored and 
and we and we actually sort of put some we capitalized on the fact that Edison had to go off and that they looked a little bit lost for that but I think we could have made more of that I think we could have you know come out the second half and 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 pressed on but in, in, instead we didn't we really sat back and, and I'm sure we'll talk about the way that the game played out but I am I'm sort of sitting mostly in the it's okay camp at the moment yeah I think that well, it is okay. Let's, yeah. let's face it, okay, because it, right. it is okay, because Eddie Howe is still securing a job. There's still plenty to play for this season, in my opinion. We'll come on to that later on the show. But, but in isolation, it's, it's not a disaster result. It's not a disaster performance. I think that compared to Forrest and Luton, which are almost their own category of disaster performance, <laughs> compared to even Liverpool and this one, were miles away from that yesterday. That the effort was there, the endeavour was there, the quality was there when it mattered when Newcastle did get the ball in the opposition penalty area. So that's all really good. Um, but I also don't want to support a team that loses four games in the Premier League and just. I'm going to so use a picking fr- a new team. I was going to use a phrase there that listeners don't like us using, so I won't. But um, but ju- but like ju- I don't just want to shrug it off. I don't think that's right. I don't think it's right. I just. To just say, all right, okay, well, they were good, they're good, great, because that's that's what we were before the takeover and before how, and there's all sorts of mitigation that we'll talk about, but it is, it, it, it is dis- what's most disappointing is that we've seen this game before, and I think whilst how can't use the bench, um, it you know, in the seventy third minute, Newcastle are winning two one, and Kevin De Bruyne comes on, and Kevin De Bruyne does fabulous things with the football to, to transform that fixture in Manchester City's favour. But if you look at the ball De Bruyne gets for his goal, we have three midfielders. No one puts an actual tackle. I think it's Rodri, might be someone else, who just plays a, a very simple straight line, 10-yard pass, and De Bruyne's in and he scores. And we've seen we've just seen it so many times before. And it's like, is it fatigue? Is it transfer window issues? Is it having a 17-year-old there? Is it not being able to use the bench? Is it how not changing things? I don't know. Maybe all of them, maybe none of them. Maybe maybe they're just too good. Maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of maybes there. But I, I do just feel, coming away from that game, it did, it did just feel a bit like, okay, well, we've, we've, we've played really well, particularly for a 15, 20-minute spell in the first half. We're kind of match Manchester City in a way that few teams can and, and punished them in a way few teams can. And that's really good and gives us lots of hope for the future. However, however... When Kevin De Bruyne comes on, is there any conversation between the players? Is there any communication from the side? Someone's going to have to drop in here and effectively man mark him because he's going to take up a classic number 10 position. He's going to get between your centre, uh, your, your defence and your midfield. We have to react to it, and we didn't. And that's the big thing, and that doesn't mean Newcastle are bad or Eddie Howe is bad. I'm just kind of articulating the frustration that I have that everyone could see it coming. And then when we get to the, the 90th minute, and, and Pep Guardiola says after the game that Manchester City, in his opinion, absolutely deserved to win the game. It's hard to disagree based on the fact they had nearly 30 shots again. They're nearly 30 shots. And like you say, even though kind of small highlights packages of this game would make it seem quite even, in fact, Manchester City probably should be further ahead at 1-0 and then probably should win the game by more. Based on the balance of play and, and, and chances, that, that isn't to say that Newcastle's defence didn't do admirably. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the players who did well later in the show. I do just, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't think anyone is getting ahead of themselves, but it wasn't a kind of, I don't think that was good. I think Newcastle are unlucky to lose it when they did. I think they, they, they did well considering the type of defeat a lot of people would have been thinking, particularly after that Liverpool game. If you look at 90 minutes at Liverpool and people thinking, well, fucking hell, it's Man City next in the lead. What are they going to do to us? Well, it wasn't quite like that. But a lot of the same problems that we've seen from this Newcastle side were still there. And to get into the 90th minute position to take something from the game and yet again not take something from the game, that's just something that has been happening all season, even maybe a little bit before the injury crisis. We concede too many goals in the in injury time and it's it's almost like we just there's just nothing from the team or from the sidelines to be able to change it. Could he bring Jamal Lascelles on to go to a back five to, to make that ball over the top more difficult? Could he bring... Um, Lewis Hall, who came on and looked lively and energetic, could he bring him on a bit earlier? I, I don't know. This is people might be listening to this thinking, "Fucking hell, it's Man City! Look at what they brought <laughs> off the bench." I don't think Grealish got off the bench, did he? Or, no. You know, hundred million pound player on the bench. We're talking about bringing another teenager on to try and affect a game at this level against this opposition. Perhaps that is just I'm trying to rearrange deck chairs kind of thing, and to even be in the game at 90th minutes, that's maybe that's the celebratory thing. 
But I do just feel it's like fucking hell if you look at the the pass that takes out our entire midfield for the De Bruyne goal. You're like, surely as a surely as a football team, as a collective, we can do better than that for that goal. Yes, and in that particular moment, yes, I I, I agree. Uh, we've got to read that better, and we've got to have a plan for for De Bruyne. And I don't know, I don't know what it was. I think we've we've kind of spent a lot of time talking about the fact that we've we've had no bench most of the season, and in in lots of games, you'd like to be able to impact it more positively. On the flip side, we've been talking about the fact that we've finally had seven days to prepare for a game. And in fact, these lads should have had a bit more of a rest. So the starting 11, in theory, should have been able to last longer than than what they did. Um, now, the fact that we kind of went into our shells straight after halftime is is one of the questions I have. Because I'm trying to be positive. But why the way we finished that first half, why couldn't we get another 10 minutes of that at the start of the second half? Try and get another goal and then start to defend a bit. Because we did we did have to defend ultimately. Man City, we're always going to do that. Um, I do kind of disagree a little bit with the narrative that this is a... We've seen this before because we don't play Man City every week, and, and, and yeah, we're going to spend. It's not a three cheers for Man City point I'm making, but the way that they play, the way that they play football, that kind of back and forward, constant possession, keep um, you know probing, and, and and they don't give you a second to rest. If you get the ball out for throwing, they get it into play so quickly because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to wear you out. They're trying to tie you out. So the fact that we look more fatigued as a starting 11 after 60 minutes than we would have against Forest, or mm. albeit we did look knackered against Forest for some reason, but that's separate, you know, three games a week in, in December. Um, I think there's just this game in isolation is just what it was. It was us against Manchester City, Kevin De Bruyne, Oscar Bob. I don't know much about him, but he looked pretty decent and it's a really good touch and finish for their goal. We haven't got any young players like that we can bring off the bench, or at least the Eddie Howe trusts. I do agree with the question, why can't, if we've got really leggy players like like Gordon who eventually came off like Isaac I don't know who else um, Longstaff and um, Miley looked spent mm. and we don't have much but can Matt Ritchie not come on and run around for 10 minutes and just just foul a, foul a few players and get a yellow card like can, can Paul Dummer not come on and, and sit in that back five like you're saying and just do a job like can he not trust the lads to do that if the players on the pitch are as spent as they look why can't we do something to try and stop the game going where everyone can see it's going that said I'm going to say it again, it is Manchester City and I don't want to use this as a kind of um, comparison to those other games where there were real problems. I don't think I saw those same problems. I just saw a different dynamic against a, a much better football team. I think I think where I would maybe slightly disagree is we should have known what they were going to do. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Probably did though. Well, That's yeah, the thing, no, we, we do know, we just can't cope with it. But Morgan Gibbs-White played as a 10 like by yeah. Forest and got the ball all the time off the back of our midfield. Phil Foden in August at the Etihad played off the back of our midfield, got so, the ball all so the time. Phil, turned. Phil Foden, I thought we managed him pretty well. Yeah. yeah. As soon as Foden goes wide right though and De Bruyne comes on through the middle, there's suddenly a number 10 in four or five yards of space. Alex every Pritchard time. at Sunderland last week, yeah. second half when Joe Linton goes off. So I, I agree yeah. with you, Stephen. I disagree with you. Sorry. I, I agree with your overall point. Listen, I think still Newcastle are a good team. Though they could go as low as 12th if... The teams blow when their games and I still think Newcastle finished in the top six this season. Um, but but they do have an issue and it is more than just injuries because we've talked about in this podcast before. If you go back to the start of the season when we had no injuries, there was a big gap between Newcastle's defence and Newcastle's midfield and good teams continue to exploit it. And I think, I take you back, Sai, if you watch again, that pass. In fact, both, both the second and third goals for Manchester City, there's no pressure on the pass to De Bruyne because Longstaff just kind of follows him, makes no real attempt to tackle him. Miley and Bruno are just watching the ball, watching the player. The ball just goes through the middle of them and he's in and he scores. And then De Bruyne cross for uh, the winner is no one even tries to stop him crossing the ball. No one even tries to. And I just feel like, yes, you're right, Manchester City are good, but I also feel like if, if that's, if that's the, the natural outcome that to Kevin De Bruyne in the 91st minute is going to get the ball, get the ball to feet, take a touch, get his head up, play a world-class ball with a world-class... It's all brilliant from them. So I don't really blame Kevin Trippier because it's brilliant. Mm. But I do just feel that, we, that maybe there's more we can do. Having said that, to finish part one, Newcastle gave Man City a game. We were in the game until the last minute and they've, they've done okay and it could have been a lot worse. And if we're, we're contextualising this defeat in a string of defeats and a part of the season that we'll look back on uh, this season and years to come as the bad time because of all of the injuries and all the fatigue, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I just feel like we could have got something from the game. We could have done things a little bit better. But it's all right, you know. We're, Worst teams will come to Newcastle uh, than Manchester City, that's for sure. And I'm sure we'll beat them. But we'll leave it there for part one. We'll come back to you after these adverts. If you want to listen to these adverts, these podcasts, even advertisement free, it's only £3 a month on our Patreon tier. Link in the description to this podcast. Speak to you in a sec. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Part two of the show, I want to talk up what Newcastle United did yesterday. Um, and there was a, a spell in the game there that they were they were brilliant, to be honest with you. And I agree with your friend at the match, Stephen, that <laughs> what they did to Manchester City, uh, particularly with no bench, was unsustainable across a 90-minute period. Um Actually, really interestingly to me, when Newcastle get the seconds and Man City take the kickoff, Kieran Trippier is pointing to his teammates, pushing forward and basically saying, no let off, we keep this going at 2-1, um, which didn't quite happen, unfortunately. Um, nice idea. Nice idea, yeah. <laughs> but but we should we should talk about players that did, did really well, and, and I feel like we should talk about Alexander Isak, who just terrified Manchester City in the first half. Yeah, um, the first, so the disallowed goal, as it was, that got got in, like, that was a sign of exactly what Alexander Isak can do to defenders. I felt he, he's done it to Virgil van Dijk every time he's played against him. You can see van Dijk panic and go, you do not let that man get one-on-one with any other defender. Like, you don't let them. And you could see Diaz and Ake suddenly going like, whoa, where's he gone? Um, and for his goal, like, he's, he's on his own. There is, I mean, I know Gordon's coming up, but he's literally on his own as he gets the ball. The way he glides really across the surface. The ball from Bruno, by the way, is absolutely brilliant. Like, it, it falls perfectly into his path. It curves round into him. They can't get to it before he does. But he's literally got, I would say, what, a foot to aim at outside the goalkeeper to bend it back. And he, he, the way he does that, he's not even looking where's Anthony Gordon going here to drag that defender or where's, who's, is, is Almiron going to come in and tuck in so I can like, see if I can do it. He's not even looking for that. He's like, there's the goal. I am going to score past this goalkeeper here. Um, I felt he was really unlucky in that the, the chance he gets just before half time, which potentially could have put us 3 1 up, he actually, I think, overthinks it. He gets in and the keeper stands up and he thinks, I've either got to lob him or I've got to try and like, sm- like smash place it. Mm. And he, he just overthinks it and the defender's coming back and like makes, it, like makes it more difficult for him because he's thinking about it. He, should, he shouldn't have done it, he should, should have swung his leg at it. But I thought, even when some people were having a go at him in the second half, saying, like, yeah, you should be sprinting around. Like, he gave absolutely everything in that first half. He drained his battery to say, I am not going to give these guys a second to settle. And I, I think he, if if you take Erling Haaland out, I think he's the best striker in the Premier League at the moment. Yeah, they, they were playing a really, really high line. So every one of those runs, and there was five or six of them in, in that like, 20 minute period towards the end of the first half. And Miggy made a couple of these as well. Yeah, he had Guardiola's number in the first half. Actually, Miggy as well got in behind him a couple of times. One point where the actual, the whole crowd had to tell him, run. There's a big gap there. And Trippier's saying, run. And then he plays him in and uh, it comes back across. But yeah, those those runs in the channels that uh, Isaac was making first off were incredible. But they were they were like 20 to 30 yard runs. It wasn't like a 10 yard ba- ba- burst. He was having to run and, and carry the ball 20 yards as well. And he did it very well and very very much unlucky not to get a, at least an, another goal. And we really needed that second goal. But that's exa- when we're asking why were they so knackered second half, that's well, why. That's and you probably think, like Pep said this at half time, like, right, they're not going to be able to do that anymore. So if you just keep the ball for another 15 minutes here, they're going to be knackered. And um, Guardiola is probably 
probably impacted that game very well at, at halftime because they, they approached it very differently, they slowed it right down. The, a lot of the pressing from Isaac and Miggy early doors had them panicking. They were losing the ball in the halfway line and letting us in. That didn't happen at all second half. We just didn't get the ball back at all unless they, they missed or had a, had a shot that went out for, for throwing or a, or a goal kick. So yeah, at that everything that worked in the first half and it was incredible to watch. Gordon, in fact, Miggy, Miggy deserves to be part of this conversation as well. Gordon, Miggy and Isaac, that front three, did everything right in the first half and just, it's not sustainable against a team like Man City and and the worry is that that is plan A and plan A worked really well but there wasn't really anything to revert to because Eddie Howe and the lads must have known that we weren't going to be able to keep that up. Um, maybe they were just hoping we'd get at least one more goal mm. and if we had done, you're probably looking at 3-3 three, three anyway but you know, it would have been, <laughs> been okay but yeah, uh, Isaac was sensational and that's, we've been talking for months about we can't seem to get him in the game. We've got this brilliant world-class player and we don't know how to get him in the game. And we worked it out for the first half. Yes, we worked it out. Those runs in the channels. He, if he can get the ball with a yard of space, he will do something with it. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, it's felt like he's not been having a good game. But actually, we've just not been able to Seriously. find him the ball. Now we know what to do with him. I think he will kick on. I really liked as well, towards the end of the game, he swapped with Gordon and, and let Gordon kind of play up front. And... and Maybe it was slightly less effective or maybe they were just so tired by then that, that you don't actually get any effect from that. But I, I like how um, versatile he is as a player and, and how much of a team player he seems to be. Often with centre forwards, you kind of get this sort of like, it can be quite a big personality. It can be quite a big like, that's me, that's my position. I'm, 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 it's, all, it's an ego-y, right? They're the, they're the glory scorers, right? But I don't get that with him. I think he knows how fucking brilliant he is. But he's also very, he's, he's a versatile player and he can play out wider and, and sort of offer that service. There was this piece about Gordon this week about how he, you know, may grow into being a centre forward. And I think that that's kind of a, 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 a cool opportunity for him to kind of be able to interchange with Isak, who is an out and out excellent centre forward. For him to drop to the side and let Gordon take that that position in the middle is just, is it almost... I don't know if generous is the right word, but it, feel, it feels like that to me. And I, and I think he is a generous player. I think he's, I think he's ruthless, but also generous. So it's an odd mix, but it's, he's definitely one we're going to kind of get into. We're doing a little plug. We're doing a live show in Gosforth um, on the 16th of February. And we're, we're going to do this. We're going to have like sort of table topics and kind of talk through and get you guys, the audience involved too. So I definitely think he's going to be one of those topics because by then we'll have played four more games. He presumably will have 20 more goals under his, <laughs> under his belt. So it'll, be, it'll certainly be one we're going to kind of get into. Yeah, the, the final thing I'll point I'll make on Isak is that um, he's exactly the type of centre-forward man that he hates playing against because mm-hmm. he doesn't stand still and wait for the ball to come to him. He drops in deep, he links the play, and then he goes beyond them. And um, for the second goal... It's probably slightly overlooked, but he is harrying the front line to such an extent that Walker pulls in to help cover him. Dan Byrne plays that one ball and Gordon's away and now there's three defenders and two straight, two attackers. And uh, if Isak's not there, then I'm not sure that we score that second goal. 10 goals and 13 starts for Isak this season. 24 goals and 50 appearances for Newcastle. These are elite numbers. Um, yeah, I, I feel like... If he is playing for Newcastle United, regardless of the injuries, fatigue, opposition, um, you've got a chance with him in the team because chances are he will score. Um, Anthony Gordon, one of you wanted to talk about him. Stephen, do you want to talk about uh, Gordon? Uh, yeah, I'll talk about Anthony Gordon as well. We're doing um, the front. Yeah. So. Um, I, what I would say about Gordon is that uh, although he seem to get shrugged out. Well, I don't know. Some people have said it was quite soft. I didn't see, I couldn't say it properly. I was on this it side was of the foul. ground. It was so fucking foul. I thought it was a definite <laughs> foul. Um, the, uh, the Kyle Walker, uh, like the ball had gone beyond Walker. Walker takes out Gordon on the sideline. It looked like a foul. 54 seconds later, the ball's in the back of our net. Um, and I felt that Gordon from that point on seemed to have like a fire lit under him and he was desperate to make a difference to the game. And he covered, I felt he covered in really well for, uh, to help out Dan Byrne. We've, we discussed before that probably the reason why there's 30 yards of space for Kyle Walker to put that cross in is Anthony Gordon's picking himself up yeah. on the touchline yeah. and can't get back up because uh, they did do a VAR check on it because did the ref, they? yeah, because the ref stopped. It's very short. And did yeah, like, did. And, did, and did say like, just hold on, don't kick off yet. Oh, interesting. Um, <clears throat> just to see if it was a foul. I thought his goal, like, if I said Isak only had a foot, 
Gordon didn't even have that. It goes almost next to Diaz's head and then right in the top corner. Uh, I thought his harrying and his pressing was absolutely brilliant in the first half. I thought he didn't have a minute's rest going up, down, up, down, up, down, first half. Um, second half, he actually makes an unbelievable run that Almiron then decides to go right to Isak, where if he goes left to Gordon, he's leaving Gordon one-on-one with Walker to get in. And I think that might have been a 2-1. It might have actually been a 2-2. Um, he's an all-energy player. He's probably, probably been our player of the season so far. Again, I don't want to help. I'm just really concerned by the amount of minutes we're having to make him play week after week after week after week when he probably could have done with the rest for 35 minutes against Sunderland because we were, when we were 2-0 up. Um, I know he wins a penalty right at the end of the game, but my concern about him is that like we're gonna we're gonna burn him out. It was never part of the plan, was it? It's just because no. Harvey Barnes has got yeah. the most yeah. broken toe of all time. <laughs> like the, the, how re-broke broken it. is it? He rebroke it apparently. <laughs> um, the thing about resting him, yes, probably does need some rest, but he doesn't want it. Mm. Like it, he really doesn't want it. If you you know you know read about Gordon and his personality and 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 look at him, he he, just, he gets pissed off if he's if he's in any way like not part of the game, and you can see that in the goal that he scored as well. We were talking about it before we started the podcast that he um, he has Isak there. And and he could he you see I, so I was in Lisa's West so I could, sort of, it was coming our way so you see him it's very very split second he decides what to do and he he knows he could look up and look around but it, the the sort of pressure's on and he's such a high paced player that he just he just takes the shot and it's such a beautiful shot it's the the the, the curve on it is just he has such a small gap and he and he capitalizes on it. And I just think that's re- he's just growing into being a really intelligent footballer and a really hungry one as well. And I really love that about him. He, his goal is the answer to the question, why doesn't Howell play Miggy on the left? Some people mm. are like, just play Miggy on the left. Um, that's why, because Gordon can do that cutting in from the left. And also Miggy, again, like against Sunderland, played a couple of nice balls across the box with his right foot. So improvements there, hooray for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll talk about Dan Byrne really quickly. I just thought the game at the Etihad in August, which I was at, Dan Byrne got absolutely torn apart by Manchester City. He didn't know when to drop. He didn't know when to follow. When he did follow Phil Foden in the number 10 position, he was losing contests from goal kicks. Uh, and yesterday, he was. I thought he was one of Newcastle's better players yesterday. His height was crucial um, his decision making was very good uh, his ball to Gordon for the goal was excellent first time perfect ball I just think it, like one of the benefits of a bit of rest that, that the team have had is actually Dan Byrne looks way, he looks like the old Dan Byrne compared to the one who rushed back from yeah. injury to try and help the team out and I thought yesterday he was um, he was really really good and, and long may that continue just quickly on Dan Byrne, um, when when we he had a bit of a, a wobble uh, just before we scored our equalizers a couple of times where he kind of um, either over. made a mistake or fell over. Yeah. And then there was a lot of um, sort of discourse in the crowd, and I, I hate that. I hate in the crowd. We can talk about and analyze players' performances after the game, but in the stadium, everyone should be getting behind the lads, and it really really great to me. To the point where when Isaac scored the first goal for us, the bloke behind me was still. The idiot just just going in on Burn like we were all celebrating, going tits, and this guy behind us is saying, "That Burn man, honestly, you, you should see that before about Burn." Like oh you're just God. desperate, you desperate. Like, we need to stop doing that. Like yes, Burn's had some bad games over December, and we know he was supposedly playing with. Like, he came back too early. Uh, I think the same about Longstaff. I think the same about Miggy. I think they probably know that they're they're not um, you know the, the 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 most popular players at the moment, but. There's almost like a groan every time something happens with them. And it's like, well, that's not going to help them. Their confidence players are all really struggling at the moment. I think Miley as well, his confidence seems to have dropped a bit compared to where he was when he first came to the team. I'm, I'm getting a little bit worried that, that we're ruining these players and that they're, they're, they're the only ones we have currently because of all the injuries that seem to just be going on forever. Need to just give them, give them the benefit of the doubt. They've all performed way above their ability for so long. And yes, we knew there was going to be patches where that didn't happen. But Dan Byrne, Sean Longstaff, who again, I don't think he played well yesterday and he's part of that midfield question that we need to solve but ultimately these lads can play better we know they're better than what we're seeing at the moment and so we can be critical of them but we need to help them get back to where they can play rather than just say right that's not good enough we need we need rid of them is is my opinion martin dubravka charlotte martin dubravka martin dubravka i um 
I thought he was excellent yesterday. I thought he had an absolutely brilliant game. And there's sort of two two strings to that, isn't there? Is that the phrase? There's two, whatever. Um, one is brilliant. He had a great game. He looks like he's really, really um, growing in confidence game to game. When he came in because of Nick Pope's injury, he hadn't had really any game time for ages. And I was quite sceptical. Um, Nick Pope had done so well and been so integral to our sort of defence that I was nervous about it. And then he was a bit he was a bit shaky to begin with, but he has grown and grown and grown. And he made some absolutely unbelievable stops yesterday. Um really, really impressive. Um some of it, some of it, a bit pa- like parrying some of them, but I, I honestly, I just don't care. Like we, our backline was able to deal with most of it, so it was that, and that's what your defence does. So that's okay. But the other string to that is that we, you know, conceded three goals, and if your goalkeeper is having one of the best games you've seen him had in ages, but we still concede four, three goals, um, that that maybe is problematic. So it's kind of a a double-edged sword for that one. But I do want to call him out because I think it could have been quite an aggressive scoreline if he hadn't made I think three, four excellent saves. No, it's really, really like well, top top draw yeah. saves. But you have to think back the last season. There were games where we won narrowly, where Nick Pope was really, really important, and he made some really crucial saves. So you're right. If you concede three and you keep a place really well, it's not it's not a good thing necessarily, but. You need to keep it to make great saves yeah. in any big game, and, and he did that. And, and you know, he wasn't at fault for any of their goals. Were all great finishes, and I'm not, you know, that they, they, they go in against any goalkeeper. No, really. and I'm absolutely not digging them out for the yeah. goals that were no, scored. No. They were, you know, they were world class goals. So it is what it is. I just, I, I suppose, the point I'm making is like something's not quite right. It's a weird sort of Steve Bruce vortex, isn't it? Where we're seeing like <laughs> Martin Dubravko is absolutely brilliant, but we lost three two. Um, <laughs> like. I suppose um, the one thing you've got to say about Dubravka is, uh, like I said, at 1-0, <clears throat> excuse me, Bernardo Silva goes for that shot. I, mean, I think against most of the keepers, that probably goes in. He gets it away at the bar. Second half, and you've so rightly said, Alex, it could have ended up being like 7-2, 8-2, because they were peppering us with the amount of shots that they had. Dubravka makes three or four saves, which are 2-1, make us have something to cling on to. Because I tell you what, at 2-2, if De Bruyne comes on, like it would be yeah. three, then four, then five, because yeah. we would have fallen apart. Um and I thought Dubravka, bar one occasion, I thought his distribution looked like it had got significantly better. Um, there was one occasion where he just went, he had loads of time and for some reason panicked and kicked it in the East stand. But apart from that, I thought like I thought his distribution had got loads better. Now that's not to say he's suddenly brilliant with his feet. The one, I suppose, issue we've got is with Nick Pope, we could play a higher defensive line mm. because Nick Pope would kind of sweep behind. Yeah. Dubravka does not do that and... The reason why we're now facing so many shots is because our defence is 10 yards back closer to our goal. Yeah. Our goalkeeper's staying on his line, as we know he does. He doesn't move from a six-yard box. Like, um, how has to do something about that? Because that's only going to make the gap between the midfield yeah. and the back four even bigger. I think he did try that. That that was the problem with this game when he came back into the game. He did try and come mm. off his line. And it, it like led to several mistakes. He's not... I don't know if he's not mobile enough or just not reading the game well enough like to spend that time mm-hmm. kind of outside of outside of his box. So you can stay there and stay there. That's fine. We're going to break again for a couple more adverts. Um, speak to you after them. Are you, like Newcastle United, one of those who all you do is win? every single day, no matter what? Well, if you want to win at running your own business, it's time to draft Shopify as your all-in-one commerce platform. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customise your online store to your brand, discover new customers and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is on your team every step of the way. It's how every minute new sellers around the world score their first sale with Shopify. And you can too. Shopify is the secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready 
to take your winning ideas into the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Try out Shopify for free today and start selling anywhere. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash truefaith, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash truefaith to start selling online today. That's shopify.com slash truefaith. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Newcastle, get ready for a night of non-stop mixed martial arts action. Octagon MMA, Europe's number one promotion, explodes into the Utilitar Arena on January 27th. Six hours of entertainment topped by the grudge match featuring one of the UK's most exciting fighters, Jack Cartwright, taking on champion Jonas Maggard. UK number two ranked middleweight Matthew Bonner takes on Octagon knockout artist Matej Panaz, also featuring the best local talent from the Northeast. Newcastle Octagon MMA is coming to the tune. Grab your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com. Grab your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com. They'd make a great gift for someone looking for a live sporting experience. So part three of the show, I just want to ask you guys uh, where this leaves Newcastle United. It's a lot of defeats. You know, we beat Manchester United in Fulham uh, in, in December, but went out of the League Cup, went out of the Champions League, lost almost every other, well, lost every other fixture. Uh, Newcastle's away form is dreadful, uh, one of the worst in the league. Um, is the season done? Is it, it, are, are the objectives that the, 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 the club had at the start of the season uh, now impossible in terms of requalifying for the Champions League? Or, or in fact, is there plenty to play for with players coming back and less football to play in the fact that Newcastle, even against Manchester City, at times sure they are still a serious team to be reckoned with. Who, who wants to go on this one, Charlotte? Plenty to play for. I'm, in, I'm firmly in that camp. We've still got loads. We're just over halfway through, right? We've still got loads of games to pick up points and finish reasonably strong. Okay, maybe we're not going to finish fourth. That's all right. We knew the season would be harder. They have talked about this season, they being the club, but have talked about this season being harder. We're also still in the FA Cup, and that's a massive part of it. So if we manage to pick up like like a decent number of points, finish somewhere seventh, eighth, and manage to stick in the FA Cup to get to a final... I'm okay with it. I think that there's, there's all to play for. I also think that that's doable. I don't think that that's outside the realms of possibility. Yesterday was a much better performance and it was against Man City, as we've already discussed. So I think we're going to c- come into the second half of the season a bit more rested, a bit more ch- trained up and, um, and we're going to get some of our players back. God knows when, but I think that we are going to get some of our players back, which is going to give us a little bit more optionality from the bench. So I'm fully in the camp of loads to play for. I still think we're class underneath all of the not being class. And we're just going to uncover that and it's going to be fine. Um, I think we maybe need to forget about qualifying for Europe through the league. Because we cannot win away from home. And That's the spirit. Th- well... <laughs> Uh, I actually, two points off Brighton, you know. Well, seventh. yeah, but uh, yeah, and, and Brighton are a good team, and they, they're going to have European football in February, March. Um, maybe I need to qualify that by saying I know you said earlier you still think they'll finish top six. I don't think we'll finish top six. So maybe that's where I need to qualify. We could finish seventh, we could finish yeah. eighth, but I don't think we'll finish top six. Um, I think there'll be a lot of eggs put in the FA Cup basket, so Fulham now becomes massive because if you want to have something at the end of the season to hang your hat on, then you need to have had. We you know we we were we a lot of us thought we were seconds away from going to another Carabao semi final, which could potentially could have been against the Borough. Um, so I think the FA Cup becomes massive. We've played the two best teams in the league home and away. They're done. The four hardest games we're going to play this season are done. Um, Arsenal away will be a tricky game, but like realistically, the two best teams will we'll scratch them off. Um, we've got no points from them, which is a concern. Um, especially when we led against Liverpool and we led against Man City at home. Having said that, 
do I think Eddie Howe's got enough to achieve these lads up to go forward? Yes. My big concern is we're told Joe Linton's a minimum of six weeks. We've heard that before. We heard it uh, in <laughs> September or October when we'll Harvey Barnes got injured. Season. Yeah. Like, that, that, we've got a real problem in that we seem to not be able to keep people fit at the minute. You can call it okay, whatever. Everything went right for us last season. Nobody got injured. Everybody's getting injured this season. Um, and I know we talked before the game when I bumped into here yesterday about you look at our bench and there's like one attacking option and there's a kid from the academy. Like we really are like down to the bare bones now and unless we do start getting people back, I think we're going to have a massive issue over the next six weeks, eight weeks because games come thick and fast. So A little yeah. girl behind me asked her mum yesterday, like who's on our bench when they brought on Kevin De Bruyne? <laughs> mum just went... Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very harsh on the two goalkeepers. Ben Parkinson. Um, yeah, I, I, it, I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I think we can pull, pull ourselves together. I think Aston Villa uh, is an absolute write-off. I think we're, we're, we're probably going to get a hiding there, which furthermore makes me think that that game against Fulham um, in the FA Cup, everything has to go into that. That's the most important fixture this month, but for... <laughs> For like it's, it's season defining because we get the fifth round of the FA Cup. There's there's an outlet there. There's a way to success. There's a way to call this a successful season. We, why not try and win the FA Cup? And the only concern, as you said, is that we're still limiting on with it with a threadbare squad. And and it, um, we said this a couple of weeks ago about Miguel Almiron. Is that he's he's not even like it's not through a lack of trying, but because he doesn't have anyone um, competing for his position and he knows he's going to play every week. It's it's just you're not getting the best out of him. And I would say the same about Miley and Longstaff. They know they're not getting dropped. They know that even if they don't play well, they're, they're playing 90 minutes every game. And Longstaff plays his best football when his position's under threat. Like he suddenly just like adds another gear because he knows he has to like give everything, absolutely everything to be in that team the following week. Whereas at the minute, and I'm not saying he's not trying because he hasn't got competition, but just just even subconsciously, it does make you play better. It does make you think I've got to try harder. So that's a concern. But if you look at the, the fixtures after those two games, so I, Fulham's massive and I think everything has to go on that. And I think the club have to realign their priorities and say, you know what, let's try and win the FA Cup because even if we get the final, um, you're still getting the, uh, into the into Europe, don't you, as, as a losing finalist in the FA Cup? What did the change that? Depends who you're playing against. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's probably the best route in Europe now is the FA Cup, albeit all the big teams are still in it and we'll probably have to beat at least one of them. Fuck it, we'll probably have to play at least three of them the way our, our cup draws have gone this season. Um, but... The fixture list after that, uh, we've got Arsenal away, like you said, we've got Chelsea away in there somewhere, but the other eight games in the next 10, very, very winnable. And that is dependent on us sorting out our away form, but there's absolutely no reason we can't win seven or eight of the next 10 fixtures. And that absolutely puts us right back into what Alex said, which is back in the top six. You know, lots of the teams in that top, outside the top three, are dropping points for fun. Man United can't sort themselves out. You know, these teams aren't going to win all the, their games so if we can put a run together we're right back in it and that's how the Premier League works and Charlotte's right there's still almost half a season to go there's loads of time to sort the season out probably need to buy at least one player or loan at least one player and it's probably the midfield because like I said there there's, there's three midfielders we've got four of our central midfield options missing and they're going to be missing for time yet um, including Tonali and, and um, Anderson in that but you know they're, they're, they're all missing We've got three midfielders left who play in three positions and that's not sustainable. We need to loan somebody, Calvin Phillips or whoever it is, to, to help with that. But I'm still confident that whatever happens, we can put a run together in that set of fixtures I've just talked about because if we don't, we're, we're fucked. We're a momentum team we were last season. We did we did all our best work in spells. And I remember post-Cup final defeat, we played Wolves at home and going into that fixture, I think a lot of people were not thinking about Champions League football for the side. And then we won eight and nine of those games. Um, that's what it's going to take. And you have to... The things Newcastle are best at produce those kind of runs. And I like the point you just made there about we're away from being terrible, because it is terrible. But also, I think there's eight away games left and only three of them against top ten sides. So there's a lot of scope there to actually fix that against worst teams in the league. And, you know, we don't know how soon these players are going to be back. But surely, by the time you get into February, you're going to see Joe Willock, Callum Wilson, Harvey Barnes, at least. And there's three players that even if they don't get in your first 11, um, I think two of them do for me, it really, really transforms that bench. It, it really does change the options. And I agree with you about the Fulham game. It's not an easy game. I think Newcastle should go there and win because they're a better side than Fulham. But if Fulham were to win that fixture, it's not an upset. Um, so I'm kind of 
you know, desperate for Newcastle to win it, but I'm also conscious that there's an there's a opportunity there to get knocked out as much as it is to go through. Newcastle United have forgotten how to draw games. That's one of the frustrating things about all of these defeats is a couple of draws, lads, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, lo- losing games by, by a goal and stuff like that. A couple of draws actually makes the whole thing and the league position, you know, three draws out of all these defeats and you're, you're seventh yeah. <laughs> right now. So you can go to Fulham and get a draw and then beat them at St. James's Park. That, that's also a possibility. But the, I, I like the fact that the season under Howe in 21-22, I think it was was maybe the Leicester game. Maybe it was even early. It was that kind of Brighton-Southampton week where we beat Brighton at home and Southampton away. Where we were pretty much safe. There was no way we were going to get relegated. And we did this podcast and a lot of fans were talking about, okay, previously under previous managers, um, there was just a massive drop-off when mm. the team's safety was assured and what Howe managed to do was kind of salvage that season and finish in probably an 11th place. I think that even if we do lose to Villa, forget about Fulham for a second, if we, even if we do lose to Villa, you look at it and say, okay, there's 15, 16 fixtures left, whatever. If we can win 12 of them, or we can win 11 of them, we will finish in the European things in the yeah. next season. So even if it goes badly in the next couple of games, I still think there's lots to play for this season. And the other thing I'll kind of contradict myself <laughs> on a little bit when we talk about Euro, Europa Conference, and maybe it's a, little, it's a different conversation for a different podcast, but if you look at the benefit Newcastle had last season, Spurs this season of not playing European football, it's it's a real balancing. Now the, the 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 caveat to that is Villa this season have Europa Conference and seems to be managing it just fine. Starting to pick up a few injuries now, but yeah, I think there's plenty to play for, and I think Eddie Howe would be disgusted at the thought of of saying there's nothing to play for this season, um, even if we lose to Fulham and Villa. Not that I think we will, but we will. Leave it there for this week. Thank you very much uh, for joining me, colleagues on the podcast. Thanks for listening and watching. Friends. We're on Patreon. <laughs> it's three to eight pounds a month. Come and join us. This podcast is very kindly brought to you by Aspers Casino, Newcastle, home of the four pound match day pint, uh, available on all draft beers for all NUFC home and televised fixtures. It's midday until midnight. Uh, over 18s only. Visit begamblerware.org, be drink aware. Uh, for details and T's and C's, visit aspersnewcastle.co.uk. We will speak to you through the week. Speak to you then. Bye-bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.